you are listening to Oversubscribed with Jason L. Baptiste and Ben Parr. Season 2, Episode 1, August 26, 2016. In this week's episode, we discuss the shutdown of Gawker, self-driving cars, NBC's face plant during the Olympics, and of course, Donald Trump. Stay tuned. Everybody, welcome to Season 2 of Oversubscribed with Jason L. Baptiste and Ben Parr. Season 2. You heard us right, Season 2. We do seasons here at Oversubscribed. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing well. It feels good to be back. I'm glad that they renewed us for another season. (laughs) You know, they they need to send more sponsorships to us. I mean, you know, I'd wear t-shirts with our sponsors' names. So do I. I'll get a tattoo of one of them. Okay, so potential sponsors, you're listening. Uh, Jason will tattoo his name, your name, on his ass. In invisible ink. In invisible ink. All right, we have a lot to hit, I think. So why don't we just dive in into uh, the topic? So for those who don't listen to the podcast regularly and oversubscribed, we discuss the um, weekly happenings in tech and media, what's, um, what basically Matt, Jason, and I talk about all the time anyway. Um, but you all get to listen in. Hi, Matt. Oh, God. Let's hit this. Oh, Gawker. Hey, we have to start with Gawker. I mean, it's a big week because the trial's been going on, but this is the week where it just, it all kind of went away. I mean, let's, let's start with, I guess, the more positive outcome, which is Univision buying it. So, the overall, for those who haven't been following, and it's pretty hard not to follow at this point, is, you know, Gawker puts up pretty bad video of Hulk Hogan having sex. I hope you never had to watch it. I unfortunately did. Uh, then Hogan sues for basically as much damage as possible. They figure out finally Peter Thiel is behind it. Peter Thiel. Okay, so first. Okay. Even oh my God, Pe- further. Uh, uh, it, it, it just like Peter Thiel's been funding these lawsuits, and that this week, you know, Univision bought it, and Gawker got shut down. Um, I have so many thoughts. So let's just start with this. So kind of even a little bit more on the, the history is, okay, Teal funded the lawsuit, $140 million bucks. Nick Denton, and then AJ, who's the other editor, who basically wrote a piece outing Peter Teal. They owe a ton of money. So uh, there are a bunch of Gawker properties. Everything but Gawker was bought by Univision. Gawker itself is shutting down. But let's start with, I think it's like six properties Univision bought. Right, so all the other properties, Kotaku, Gizmodo, uh, Jalopnik, Deadspin, they all will still be there and they all still exist. And, oh, 95% of the people who are Gawker have jobs as part of the agreement for the purchase, which I give Denton credit for trying to make sure his people are good. And Denton gets basically what is a severance agreement. He gets um, like a 200 something thousand dollar salary every year is what essentially it sounded like. Um, all right, first thought. Wow. Um, I've never seen a complete and total and utterly dominant win like Peter Thiel has accomplished here. Yeah, it's like usually you'll see a lawsuit. It'll hurt the company. Maybe they got to do some layoffs. They'll do Chapter 7 and be okay. But like rarely do you see quick lawsuit win, everything ready for default. And it was one of those scenarios that was like outlined in the press. You actually didn't think that would happen. 
And then, oh my god, holy shit, forced to sound like 135 million for Gawker is actually cheap. Um, if you just look at like what people thought the valuation was and, and all that for the past few years. Uh, he got exactly what he wanted. He destroyed Gawker. He bankrupted Nick Denton and the writer who wrote the Hogan article. It's been incredible. Um, um, the, the free speech stuff aside, just like the, the lesson here, like I hear it all the time, don't fuck with Peter Thiel. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like Cersei Lannister Game of Thrones level revenge comeback type of stuff. Oh, so, um, I wonder though, do you think that there's going to be any long-term implications for the future of media? And I say this with one thought. Well, so here's the thing though. Um, there is a new Y Combinator startup um, called Legalese or Legalize, and what it does is... It, it, by the way, one of the founders was a Teal Fellow. <laughs> I know. This is why it's even more interesting. It fund like, they fund, well, not necessarily these kinds of lawsuits, but they help fund the lawsuits in return for 50% of the earnings. Um, and they have some kind of algorithms to predict. I think, I think there is actually going to be an impact. At the very minimum, it's kind of a legal impact. You're going to see a lot more um, outside funding of certain lawsuits. In my opinion, absolutely. What it does for media, I'm not 100% sure. But I do think that every journalistic publication is going to is going to think twice before publishing things like that. You're never going to see another Gawker for many years. Um, and uh, there was a great piece by my friend, by our friend Ben um, Metcalf. He used to be at Uber and basically describing how uh, when, when Denton published his last piece on Gawker, he was describing how uh, one, it was an experiment in journalism and how you know he was removing as much friction as possible between the journalist and the reader, which uh, Ben, I think, aptly responded that there should be actually a, a decent amount of friction between the journalist and the reader because you need research, you need facts, you need detailed information. Um, yep. When you don't see a lot of friction, you get things like Breitbart or Gawker. So it, yeah. th- there's going to be an impact in my opinion. And it's going to be an impact. Yeah, but that the people who do things like Breitbart, like is Gawker as bad as Gawker was? I don't think it was, you know, Breitbart kind of level stuff. It, to me, I, I don't think it has an impact because what happened was the judicial system made its decision. It was a jury of its peers. They made a decision. It went through a fair trial. There was just as much of a chance that Peter Thiel could have blown all this money and we would be saying the same thing of, Look how media overcame a rich billionaire, right? Like, it's the way that the cookie crumpled. So if you look at, let's say, there's another case like Gawker that comes up. You know what? Like, in most cases, you know, Gawker was not actually that big of a media company. Let's say it's Time Inc., for example. Actually, I think a Peter Thiel should be funding it if he believe if somebody believes it's a valid lawsuit. Because there's even somebody with the wealth of Hulk Hogan can never compete against a Time Inc. that's worth billions of dollars. So... I don't think it's a terrible thing. And the thing is, you've got to trust in the judicial system. It's one of those, like, doesn't matter if it was funded or not. Like, the decision was made because that is what the judicial system decided. The real question is, is it, you know, should the judicial system have, you know, ruled the way that it did? And I, you know, I don't know enough about First Amendment law on the case, you know, that certainly can have implications because now there's a precedence. What I believe was a little bit damn far was, you know, going and fully bankrupting the company and shutting it down. I think that was just a, a step too far, you know, and that's, that's what worries me maybe a little bit, but it's, 
hey, if a company does something that the judicial system deems not to be right, like that's that's where you are. So we shouldn't so be. So here's saying, here's where ahead. I disagree. Some uh, like like yeah, the judicial system is going to have is it like is going to work its process differently each case. But I think the bigger thing is going to be that. Um, and I've been talking with a lot of journalists. They're much more scared to publish certain things now because of what's happened, which could be a bad thing because um, I believe journalism and media is the steward against you know um, the rich and powerful sometimes, and that kind of that potentially erodes some as everyone realizes that a billionaire can in fact destroy your life if you say the wrong things about him on the paper. Yeah, but it's one of those things. If you said something that really was worth a lawsuit and going to court and losing in court, like it doesn't like the billionaire maybe put some of the money towards it, but Hey, it was something wrong. That's, you know, that's the way I think about it. Well, I think that we'll see, like, I'm curious what'll happen over the long run, but you know, I'm glad that most of the, um, the Gawker employees have jobs at Univision. Yeah. And I, I think too. we, and I think Gizmodo and Jalopnik and Kotaku and Lifehacker, they do great work. Okay. So I'm glad to see that that'll be surviving under Univision. Yep. And Univision is a great company with fusion and forward thinking. It's good. So I think that's I, all my thoughts. I was on never Gawker. a big fan of fusion, but so be it. Listen, well, they built it's, an it's, impressive it's, organization. Right? It's, it's an, it's at least they're experimenting and they're trying. Yep. Totally. Totally. Agree. Speaking of experiments, what, Self-driving cars. I know, that's yeah. a terrible segue. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how do you go from Gawker to self-driving cars? But that's kind of the universe we live in. So it's one of those things. So I took a you know a drive this weekend out, out to the beach. We had to rent a car. You know, New York City, you really don't have a car. And it's just like driving, you're kind of sitting there, and you can now realize self-driving cars are not an if but a when. And that when seems to be a lot sooner because you have Uber buying auto and having self-driving trucks. I actually think self-driving trucks are just as interesting, if not more interesting than self-driving cars. You know, if you look at stats, about 50% of vehicles on the road are um, commercial vehicles, not all big 18-wheeler trucks, but commercial vehicles. It's the number one job in the country. And if you look at the cost of, you know, what it takes to transport something by truck, I spent a lot of time researching this area. The bulk, vast, vast majority of it is people and fuel. Fuel, it'll be electric, and then people is an even bigger cost. That'll get removed. So when you think about AI replacing humans, you've got all these Uber drivers, you've got these truck drivers. It's actually going to have a pretty profound impact. So I've been thinking about this a lot, and in fact, next year um, I will have some initiatives around this. Um, And I've been having discussions with government officials about it. Because we're not prepared, for, and I've said this before on the podcast, we're not prepared for, for, for a society where the vast majority of people do not have to work in order for society to properly function. When automation takes over the number one job in this country, which is truck driving, how, what do millions of people do? Um, there is a lot of um, potential issues that, like, the biggest thing I think is giving people self-worth and being like, how do you give people self-worth when they're when job is not the main place where they get self-worth because yeah. that's what's going to happen over the long run uh so i like look it's the future uber's running straight into the future they're already just starting the pilots in pittsburgh that that's a small i mean thing what's on crazy is that the drivers are still like they have to be there in kind of the, the autonomous cars those drivers are essentially helping to put themselves out of business it's 
I mean, it's, it's beyond fascinating what happens to those jobs. You know, in many cases, there'll be other jobs that can be taken over, which are not highly skilled labor. Um, you know, but a lot of truck drivers, my guess, it's all that they've, you know, ever had was this type of job. It's a way of life. And I think that's going to be a tough shift. And, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be as easy as, oh, hey, just go learn a new skill like computer programming and you'll be fine. I think you're going to have those generation of folks that are truck drivers really hurt for, you know, 10 years. And then at that point, a lot will be phased out and have found new stuff. But it's, it's going to bring a pretty big world of hurt. So, uh, well, a couple, a couple other notes on the entire self-driving ecosystem. One great acquisition by Uber to get Auto. Um, it, it helps both of their goals. Two, um, great acquisition by GM to acquire Cruise Automation. Um, and I know they're working on some amazing stuff. And from the, GM's been investing resources into Cruise to really accelerate the self-driving part. Three, Google's been fa- feels like it's been falling behind. It's been going s- like they have the best tech, but they've been moving so slowly. Yeah, on but it. they you, started the thing. If you look in, so actually, I think one of the best acquisitions was the German automakers buying Here Maps. So if you look at what it takes to build a self-driving car, you've of course got all the robotics of it. That's not super difficult. You've got the real-time AI system, which is judging in real time and making decisions. But the third part that nobody really talks about is kind of the mapping system. And we figure, hey, the mapping system is all done. We have Google Maps and we have 2D maps. Those maps are pretty much worthless when it comes to a computer. It's essentially a language that a computer cannot read. So what here is done and is continuing to do is building what's called HD maps, which is you know near millimeter precision of essentially giving the computer a memory and reference point of here's where everything is and then applying what they see in real-time computer vision on top of it, that's you know one of the big barriers to how do you get self-driving cars nationwide because most of the most cities are not remapped in HD. And they also need to be remapped constantly in HD. So think of it as if Google Street View was 8-bit and HD maps are you know PlayStation 4. That's a big jump, and I think you know. Google can get a one up there because they've got the Street View cars. Um, you know, I, I think part of it is, you know, are they going manu- to partner with the car manufacturer? Their plans just seem a little, you know, less you know able to come to fruition. Versus Uber's got Volvo, Tesla's Tesla, GM is GM and bought Cruise. So another thing, um, Tesla, you mentioned um, the Tesla accident a couple months ago. I thought it would have a bigger impact on the industry, but it doesn't seem like it um, is really going to make a giant blip on uh, uh, on the regulations. Yeah, they actually dealt with that really well. Like it went away pretty pretty fast. Listen, it's not the last one that we'll see. Um, well, I think there. Were, I think for better. Unfortunately, the stories of how the guy completely abused the system and was like watching a movie during it, like helped their case. It wasn't really necessary. Like you're supposed to have your hands on the wheel during this kind of thing, uh, but it, if there's a like larger scale of accidents, you know, maybe that won't all derail the thing anymore. Maybe really just is inevitable. And in which case, you know, um, I'm trying. Like I'm curious. Like if we predict right now, like the future, how long until the majority of trucks are self-driving? Um, how long until the majority of Ubers are self-driving? And then what happens then? Well, so let's let's think about how you get there, right? So. First is you need the HD maps, which I talked about. And that just, like, that doesn't exist. You've got 
very good automation technology and AI seeing technology and, you know, what Tesla has been doing on kind of learning the roads and that helps learn like, but you need the HD maps and that's, that's going to take time to get done and a lot of capital. So that's one. Two is you've got regulation. Right now, I think Nevada is the only one that's kind of been forward thinking on regulation. If I was a city and wanted to help create jobs, I would be, you know, moving fast to authorize, you know, self-driving cars and kind of tax breaks and everything around it. So I think you're going to start to see some people take advantage of What's the of incentive for a town to um, authorize tax breaks and really encourage that? Jobs. I mean, so let's say all of a sudden, you know, I don't know, um, Buffalo, New York does it, Okay you're all of a sudden going to have a ton of these teams relocate there, start to invest there, hire folks, build jobs there, because that's one of the first places. You know, you're also, it's going to be a win. It's going to be seen as innovative and doing something to stimulate the economy, forward thinking, um, and not just status quo Well, politics. yeah, but it's also going to be seen as, like, you're destroying jobs. Like, okay, so there was actually, in, in Germany, I was uh, talking with a friend about this issue. And, you know, they were had the question of, like, you know, what's going to happen? Like, how is Germany going to handle self-driving cars? And, you know, how is it going to focus on the economy? And their response was, um, we're not going to let it happen. It was, like, basically, like, we're not, we're not going to let people lose their jobs by self-driving. It's like, like, it blew my mind because they think that regulation is going to stop something that's clearly safer and more efficient in the short run and the long run. But that's going to be happening in a lot of like local governments too. There's going to be a lot of people saying like, "Don't do this." Taxi drivers. Uh, Ab- absolutely, auto- it'll be the next big regulation battle. You know, at first, ninety-five percent will be that way. You'll have the first five percent that'll be a fan of it, and they're going to look more forward-thinking. But kind of back to the bigger topic, which is you know how long until it happens. You've got to get the HD maps, then you've got to get regulation taken care of, which is you know that's going to take a lot of time to pass. I think. A framework to look at might be, hey, airports and airplanes didn't exist at one point, then all of a sudden they popped up everywhere. And I think you're going to see the same thing happen with self-driving cars. And I think that's, that's what's going to take a lot of time. And then you're going to have to see, you know, what is the adoption of where? Is it trucks first? You know, is it kind of car, sh- uh, I don't want like kind of Ubers and Lyfts of the world and then you know, when do people actually upgrade their car to be a self-driving car? It's it's going to happen fast, but it's going to be, you know, a, a 10 to 20 year period of adoption. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to see this all play out. And obviously you're going to see self-driving Ubers expand in other cities very quickly. We're going to see it all expand. Um, let's hit our next topic. Let's talk about... Um, NBC, and let's talk about Comcast, and let's talk about the ratings failure that they had. Yeah, you know, so I, I didn't read too much on it. It basically seems, two years ago they said, hey, our nightmare scenario would be if ratings dropped 20% because kids were on Facebook and Snapchat and all that, and the Olympics just passed them by. That pretty much happened. I think it was a 17% drop. It was, it was a 17% drop, and they, um, executives blamed... Uh, millennials and millennial viewing habits. Um, like over 15 days, the average was 27.5 million viewers across all platforms, which was down 9%. Uh, but I mean, I blame entirely NBC. It's the like the biggest issue is it's not effing live. 
Like, especially for something that's in the same time zone era. I mean, I think that was a big part, but, you know, I don't think millennials are like, oh, I'm not going to watch the Olympics because it's not live. It was still technically live in the sense, like, hey, it was streaming and it was on demand. It, you know, I don't think many care. Oh, my God, you know, Michael Phelps competed three hours earlier. I, just, I don't think there's enough interest in that. I think it comes down to the Olympics are a huge thing for people who are in front of, you know, number one, I don't, Olympics is every four years, so it doesn't have the repeatability of the Super Bowl and NFL and people are crazy about fantasy leagues. So it's a, hey, what's every four years? This is a big event, but it's interesting. Well, but it's also over the course of two weeks, so it kind of spreads itself thin some. Yeah, of course, so you got that. And then it's, well, hey, you know what? Like, it's an event primarily centered around watching on a television. Well, guess what? Like, I don't... most people don't consume content by sitting in front of the TV like they used to, especially millennials. So I think it's, you know, it really is NBC's fault, which is, you know, how could you have gotten in front of, you know, the Snapchats, the Facebooks, the Twitters of the world? You know, listen, the elections happen every four years, and, man, people are glued to it. A part of it may be Trump, but people are people are no no a lot of it's trump and we'll get we'll get to that we'll get to that but no uh, well, i think the so i also think it's partly that the rio olympics were not as well organized you're not going to see that problem in 2020 um, i actually think you'll see a bump in 2020 i think maybe if nbc learns at least a little bit from their screw experience what they should do in my opinion um is they should have a live version for the 2020 olympics which has been the middle of the night and then they should have an airing of the Olympics during like during the day and during prime time when it's not. Um, it all kind of depends on what the time zone works, but you know that the Tokyo, the J- Japan Olympics are going to be pristinely run. They're going to be great, but the, there there should always be the capability to see the big events live as well as having the like summaries that they have. Yeah, I like I think they'll figure it out. It was a wake up call, and they'll. They'll figure it out. If they don't, the rights will go elsewhere. Uh, well, then not if NBC keeps on paying a bunch of money. The okay. One other thing that annoys me before we um, wrap up in this part is that uh-huh. is just the detailed NBC like the the copyright claims and how brutal they are with it. Like uh, there was a bunch of videos that went viral because like local news stations can't show more than maybe. Um, 60 seconds worth of Olympics clips. They're not even allowed to show the five rings without, like, the entire uh, logo stuff. And so, like, one um, newscaster, he had, like, triangles, and he showed just videos from local, like, wrestling matches instead of, like, the actual Olympics because he wasn't allowed to show it. Um, And a major news writer got permanently suspended from Twitter for posting three animated GIFs from the Olympics. That's crazy. It's, like, it's nuts! Like NBC is like uh, like that's part of the problem. They just like well, like it went beyond. So I hope they learn, but I don't know if they will. Yeah, I I don't know either. I I don't know. Um, you know, it's just I, you know what? If they're gonna learn, the kick in the ass of the ratings should do it. Well, we'll see. There's some articles written. I'm sure they're dissecting. Uh, hopefully they learn the right lessons and not the wrong ones. And it, it, unfortunately, the tone of like it's all millennials' fault is the wrong tone. I get that that's a, a factor, but it has to be like let's reflect. You know, 
Uh, kind of like how the Republican Party reflected on why they went wrong after the 2012 election, and they wrote that autopsy on the, on the party and how they had to court minorities, and then it got burned completely yep. by this election. So, uh, as part of season two of Oversubscribed, we're going to be having a weekly Trump check-in because we, we just have to. Or let's call it election 2016. Uh, yeah, but I think, okay, fine. Election 2016, but you and I both know that 85, 80% of this is going to be Trump. But you know what? Uh, that's what it is. So, I mean, since the last time we did a podcast, he's just lost his mind. Like, <laughs> he's, it's like that's no, the no, only you're, way you're, to just... You're, you're claiming he, ha- he had his mind in the first place. And I, I don't agree with that one. I think at some point there was at least some semblance of a plan and now it's just like it's a type of stuff when you hear like what kim jong-un does in uh north korea you're like the dude's just like off the rails like it's the same type of stuff i think like cnn was on at the gym this morning it was like whoever the new kellyanne uh person they hired as campaign manager and then um the title was trump thinks hillary is a bigot it's Mm -hmm. like really (laughs) really like so there were two things which was that and um it's funny because um, Trump's been softening his stance on immigration um, after nine months of build the wall. And now a bunch of his hardline supporters like Ann Coulter are turning on him for even minorly thinking of amnesty, which they're claiming that he's not. But that's what it sounded a little bit like. And now he's facing yet another eternal revolt from the alt-right. It's just it's hilarious. Like it, it, it's 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 hilarious how off the wall the alt-right is and also sad how much more mainstream the alt-right has become as a result of this election um yet you know the over like it's crazy too like you know they think that they're going like they probably actually think they're going to win um and there's still a shot but like you know just the latest poll that just got published this morning from quinnipiac university clinton has a 10 point lead nationally and has like 9 to 15 point leads in all the swing states and has the better ground organization and and has all of that and a bunch of like short of his hardcore alt right supporters, the uh, the suburban Republicans are have no enthusiasm for Trump. They're not going to care about getting out and voting for him. Yeah, like, no, the, the the old boys club is just kind of like, all right, these these folks are a little bit crazy. Like Trump is crazy, so I think you you've got a bunch of folks in America that feel disenfranchised and that immigrants are bad and that we need a businessman and blah blah blah, like. You know, they're a very large voice, but, like, they're not going to win the election. And I think, like, that was the original plan and, you know, figured, hey, the rest of the conservatives will support me. And they're kind of like, hey, you know, it's just a little bit too far. It's like what he's really done is hijacked the Republican Party, created his own party, you know, and just called the Trump Party. And, like, the Republicans are kind of just sitting this election out. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a Trump party or an alt-right party come out of this election. I think he's just going to start a media company. I think he's done with... Oh, no, no. He'll start a media company, but I think some other people are going to take that mantle. and and, like, There's just no way you can bring those two sides together again. I think there's going to eventually be... Which I think is good. I think, you know... Agreed. The Republican Party has had some of its issues, but it's like, you just look at some of the racism and backwards thinking from folks, you know, and just like some of the things you see at rallies and like, frankly, like 
I'd be glad if I was running the Republican Party and those those folks are gone. And that's that's probably a good thing. Yeah, but it also probably means Democratic control for a long time because they just don't have the majorities to win if, if that really happens. It, 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 you could see another 16 years of um, Democratic control, at least at the presidential level. I don't know yeah. what will happen at the House and the Senate level over the long run. Well, it's kind of like see how Hillary does and, you know, see who runs in, you know, 20... 2020. Like, Par- yeah, oh, yeah. So, by the way, remember, um, par Kanye 2020. Because <laughs> Trump, you know, at first came off as, like, all right, somebody who is not, like, a complete loony bin. I think you're going to see, like, if the alt-right has a party, you're just going to see, like, weird loony bin folks running it. Like, you're not going to see, like, real presidential candidates that have a shot. Well, I think that if he does lose in a narrow match, um, you could see a lot of anger and resentment because Trump's been trying to cover his ass by saying it could be it would be rigged and um i've been hearing internally he actually does think it would be only way he could lose if it was rigged which is scary that he even thinks that the like like i don't know what to predict i think i i'm okay i'll leave it last one because we have so many things we can talk about in future weeks i can't wait for the debates i can't wait for the debates i can't wait for the debates can't wait for the debates there's gonna be like super bowl level viewing numbers for that Screw whatever else is on. I, I'm, I'm putting those things in my calendar, and I'm putting together watching parties. <laughs> I'm in. All right. All right. I think we end it there. We'll be back soon. All right. So this is the beginning of season two, everybody. Season of Oversubs- two. Season two of Oversubscribed with Jason Baptiste and Ben Parr, as always. If you want to suggest topics for next week, if you want to... Um, chat with us about the episode. You can tweet us at Jason L. Baptiste, at Ben Parr, um, or Facebooks, or all the other social networks, um, or comments, or you know the whole deal, or comments on the product hunt, whatever you want. So talk to us. Tell us what you want to hear. Tell us what you want us to discuss in Season 2. We'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to Oversubscribe with Jason L. Baptiste and Ben Parr. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we hope you'll share and subscribe. Go to SoundCloud at bit.ly slash oversubscribe podcast or find us on iTunes or TuneIn. Thank you very much for listening. Join us next week.